You're listening to Radically Pragmatic, a podcast from the Progressive Policy Institute. We talk with lawmakers, policy experts, and thought leaders about the issues driving the news nationally and internationally. The Progressive Policy Institute is a catalyst for policy innovation and political reform with offices in Washington, D.C. and Brussels. Its mission is to create radically pragmatic ideas for moving America beyond ideological and partisan deadlock. We encourage analytical conversations, not your typical partisan talking points. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Radically Pragmatic Podcast. Uh, I am Curtis Valentine, co-director of the Reinventing America Schools Project. Uh, I am here with my co-director, Trisha Pankovich, and it is School Choice Week. Uh, How are you feeling today, Tressa? I'm great, Curtis. How are you? I'm doing good. You know, it's School Choice Week. This is something that comes around every year. And I'm seeing all the energy on social media. I'm seeing, you know, more importantly, the students and the photographs and the excitement of, you know, parents and families who are really just celebrating the choice they have and, and where to send their kids. It seems like, you know, a lot of a lot of folks take it for granted. But this is that week where people can really, you know, declare it, say it out loud, demand more of it. And I'm just so glad to uh, be here to speak with you about it. That's right, Curtis. And I don't know if you got a chance to look at their kickoff video. I actually attended it live and anyone in the audience that's interested in that can find that on National School Choice Week um, on their website or on YouTube. But it was fabulous. I highly recommend it. They do a bit where they zoom all over the country and have kids from every single state, students in their yellow and red scarves, jumping for joy, uh, holding up signs. And it was really fun to watch and see all these different kids from all all over the country. And did you know that 31 buildings are lit up Uh, not only buildings, but buildings and national monuments are lit up this week, red and yellow for School Choice Week, including Niagara Falls. No, Niagara Falls? Really? It it is. The uh, Aloha Tower in Hawaii is lit lit up. Uh, A big bridge in Kentucky and all kinds of uh, public buildings, the South Florida Aquarium and Science Center, all shining in red and yellow this week after dark. No, that's that, that's so exciting. I mean, I, I think this this year, in many ways, is unlike other years, just because this COVID, you know, pandemic has hit so many families so hard. And you know, uh, I just want to commend you. You've talked about this this idea that parents are, you know, making choices, different choices on where they send their kids, and that's that's their right. Uh, and that's something that um, should should be celebrated. But, you know, to be able to to sort of celebrate that uh, this year, to me, it's just a little different than, than in the past where a lot of folks were not doing so in a time when they could not even, you know, go into the school building for, for health reasons in some cases, but other reasons because the school was not prepared and didn't do the work and use the resources they were given to prepare the school. And so I'm sure those families who are out there celebrating this year do so a little bit differently this year. That's right. And I think underneath all the fun and the fanfare and the gubernatorial proclamations, of which there were 31, I think, this year, recognizing uh, School Choice Week at the state level, I think there's some, you know, some serious messages. Um, The National School Choice Week organization did a survey the first week of January and found that 51, I believe it was, or 52 percent of parents either 
switched schools last year or are considering switching schools in the coming year. And for us, this is all inside baseball, of course, because this is the space we work in. But for a lot of parents, um, I think it's confusing knowing how to um, find a school that is a good fit for their students. So I hope this week can really help provide some serious resources to families who might not know where to turn, but just know that they're not satisfied where they're at. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, as folks are, are, are looking at this week, um, I think we all come at it from a, a different lens because we all have our own um, experiences with, uh, with, with choice, um, whether it be growing up, uh, whether you thought, you know, you had choice where you grew up or your parents, you know, made decisions for you or whether you as a parent are doing so now. A lot of folks come to this work with our own stories and experiences. I know both of you both of you and I have uh, have our own, but this is also a time to reflect on uh, how school choice has, has affected our lives. That's right. I was um, I was really bullied as a kid, and my parents, um, you know, wanted to help take me out of a very painful situation, and so I was sent to Catholic school. But that was very temporary because they couldn't afford the tuition and the scholarship such as it was that I was on ran out. So I ended right back up in um, a different public school, but a public school nonetheless. And I know that if they would have had choices, they would have exercised them on my behalf. But there just wasn't anything else for them at that point in time. So we, we have come a long way. There's a lot further to go. But what's your school choice experience personally do you have a story well i mean I, it's interesting i tell the this the story of you know my mom really both my parents really making decisions for me uh based on you know the community in which i live so i grew up in um central new jersey a um, very very small town and uh you know when my parents moved to this new home Folks on the street said, you know, the schools around here uh, are not very good. You know, you need to put your child into the best school for them. And that should be uh, a St. Peter's. And so my my kindergarten year, I attended a parochial school not far from my home. Uh, I was really, you know, had experience and a track record for serving students. After a year, so my mom, you know, uh, parents couldn't afford it. And so they, my mom really, you know, wanted to enroll us in a neighborhood school, which was literally right behind my house. I could see it from my, from my bedroom. So it's one of those things where you could literally see the school, but at the time, you know, in kindergarten, my mom thought it wasn't, you know, wasn't good enough. And this is sort of based on what she had heard. So my mom did like a lot of mothers do is she was very bold uh, about it and called the principal and Tressa, you know what this my mother said to this principal? She says, um, sir, uh, I hear your school suck. <laughs> I said, Mom, you said that to the principal? She's like, yeah, that, that, that's what I heard. That's what I heard. And so he said, you know, ma'am, I'm not sure where you got that from. And, you know, I'm sorry, you know, that you heard that. But give me one year with your son and your daughter. And then you make a decision on your own. And don't, you know, don't necessarily rely on everyone else. And so with that in mind, you know, she enrolled us in that school, held that principal accountable and the school system accountable. And my sister and I graduated from that system 12 years later. But it's the idea that coming in, you know, having to, in many ways, come out of your pocket for a quality education for my sister and I in kindergarten and first grade for my sister was one that I just think, you know, is an injustice and frankly for particularly low-income families to have to do. 
but also the idea that, you know, we have to challenge our educators and our school systems um, to do what's best for our kids and be very direct about what we demand and what we uh, and how we'll hold them accountable. You know, that's, that was really important for uh, my mom and dad, who were both sort of from the South and whose family was from the South and, and, and came up here for a better life. And, you know, wanted their children to do better than they did, like a lot of, which is like the American dream. And so that is a story I take with me, you know, my wife and I, the choices we made for our children. We put our children into a magnet Montessori program that my school district offers. And we were glad to have that choice that that model worked for us. But that's the option that I think we had and we hope that all families should have. Absolutely. I don't have children, but my sister in Denver, uh, her fifth grader was really struggling, my nephew, and um, he he was he is a very, very bright kid. And his issue was that he wasn't being stimulated enough. And because he was bored, he was having some behavioral problems, nothing serious, but just disruptive in class. And the school just wasn't working for them. And she actually called me uh, because like most parents, she didn't really know what to do. And um, we did a little research and found him a great charter school. And he was lucky enough to win a lottery, which is brings up another point that in so many places, there's such long waiting lists for um, the public alternative schools that are free. Um, since so many parents are, are priced out of private schools as my parents were in California when I was young. But uh, he was one of the lucky ones and uh, they made the move last year and he did he he did really well and this year he seems to be on track and now of course he's heading into middle school so those are really tricky years for kids but i was happy to be able to help her and i hope that the work that we do at reinventing america's schools helps other parents and really helps with educating the public about the fact that you need to be pre proactive um, and that you need to explore whatever choices that you can for your students and not feel bad about it because it's not a political issue. It is just an issue of trying to put kids first and student-centered education. And every parent, as you said, Curtis, has a right to seek that for their child. And I think, you know, we, we often talk about, again, just the, the freedom that parents have, again, to make decisions for their children for the best quality school. Here at, at Reinvent America Schools, we also talk about different models um, and you've written about them and we've interviewed leaders from schools that are dual enrollment, community college credits, uh, schools that uh, provide options for science, technology, engineering and math. Language immersion. Yeah, I mean, all those things. But that's but that's what our country needs. And this is what the world and economy demands. And so I think even for those who are listening and wondering how does this fit into the greater you know, conversation around our country, it is around the idea that we have to, again, produce the next generation of critical thinkers who can analyze and to, and who can, you know, can create. We have to meet the needs of the future economy um, and just to highlight different programs. You know, I keep thinking about the Purdue Polytechnic School in Indianapolis that offers a, a very unique way to educate students and really meets them where they are, and I know you've interviewed a bunch of other folks. What are some of the other, you know, interesting models of schools that you've uh, that you've seen around the country? Well, let me elaborate for just a moment on um, Purdue Polytechnic. 
High School in Indianapolis. That school was actually started in partnership between Purdue University and the school district. And the reason that Purdue wanted to start that school was because of the staggeringly low number of incoming freshmen of color it was receiving from the Indianapolis public schools. The, no the numbers were astonishing. It was over a period of years, um, IPS had graduated well over, I think it was 4,000 students of color, but only like 38 of them were qualified for admission to Purdue. And Purdue was um, very invested in changing that trajectory because being the, the leading university in the area um, that leads to the highest paying jobs in Indiana, it was desperate um, for more diversity and more opportunity for students of color. So they, they created this high school and it's completely project-based. And they partner very strongly with the uh, business community to sponsor projects. So for example, one that was given to me, um, Eli, formerly Eli Lilly, created a project called Extending a Healthy Human Life Cycle. And they have several projects going at the same time and teams of students bid on the projects that they want to work on. And then the curriculum is crafted around their projects so that they're getting reading and they're getting math and they're getting writing skills and they're getting social studies and they're getting science. So one team might be approaching extending a healthy human life cycle from providing clean drinking water worldwide. Another one might be eradicating malaria or, you know, improving nutrition systems. And whatever that is, that content is tailored to meet state standards. So they're getting the core subjects. And um, then, th then there's an award at the end for the best project. And it's very public affirmation on campus for students. So that creates a motivating factor. And frequently these projects can lead to internships or rather career to path, career to work pathways um, with that company. But the thing about it, you wanna know what the, the kicker to the whole thing is, Curtis? What is it? Students who graduate with their grades at a certain level are absolutely guaranteed entrance to Purdue. Wow. Yeah. So it's a pretty cool school. And I'm glad you brought that up because uh, being one of the uh, Indianapolis Public Schools Innovation Schools, can we talk about innovation schools for just a minute? Are they schools of choice? We got to. They're schools of choice. They are. They are. But what what the reason I want to talk to about them is is multifold. One is is they're one of the newest models of schools of choice. So um, the way it works is in many places the state has passed a statute. Uh, Texas is one. Indiana Indiana is another. Colorado is another. Um, and they authorize these statutes authorize a school district to take a school that is failing that has been for many years not performing for students not meeting state standards and instead of letting that situation continue or waiting for the state to come in with a heavy hand and take that school over and take it away from local control the school board can proactively seek out an external partner that must be a nonprofit and must have a proven track record and contract with that partner to operate the school. And with that, the autonomous partner becomes responsible for the day-to-day -day operations of the school. They have autonomy over the budget, over staffing, over the calendar and the curriculum. Uh, in Indiana, 
which has the strongest law, the autonomies are blanket. They just, everything is autonomous, right? Except for obvious things like, you know, um, OSHA rules and federal anti-discrimination rules and all the other legal protections that we all, you know, navigate in our society every day. But when those schools start to improve, which they almost always do, those scores count towards the district scores, so it improves the entire district. And I was so proud of the Indianapolis Public Schools. Um, it doesn't sound like something I would be proud of, but you know what they did just before Christmas? What did they do? They voted to close one of those schools. Now, that is a really sad story that one of the innovation schools didn't make it, but I was so heartened to see IPS follow through on its accountability commitment to students and parents, which was if at the end of the contract period, the school did not meet its its performance metrics, it was not going to be allowed to continue. I, I just thought that was amazing that they, they held to the contract and to the accountability. And as sorry as I am for that school operator that it didn't work out, I'm extremely happy that the, the students and teachers of that school are going to get a new life, you know, a new a new operator to come in or it will return to the district. And that is the way that authorizing and school accountability is supposed to work. Yeah, I mean, for, for those who, you know, who, who are familiar with our project, you know, they already know that, you know, we, we, we stand on, you know, our stool stands on three legs. It's, it's accountability, it's autonomy, and it's choice. And so, you know, this school choice week, you know, we celebrate choice, but we also celebrate the autonomy that schools of choice have, like the ones you mentioned, but also the accountability that they have. In some cases, you know, it's, it's fair, it's based on what was set out in the contract, but in some cases, it's not always that fair. Uh, and so we want to also just, uh, you know, salute all the advocates, those who, this week who are really fighting for a fair charter school law um, in their state for for options and for equitable funding of those schools and that they're not getting pennies on a dollar. And so because you don't want you don't want to be penalized for choice. And I think there is some folks there are some folks around the country are saying, you know, Curtis, Tressa, we put our children into one of these choice schools that you said, you know, we should fight for. But my child's only getting, you know, you know, 75 cents on a dollar compared to, you know, students in a traditional public school. And that's not fair. And so we want to celebrate and recognize and give a platform to those who are advocating uh, for equitable funding uh, as well. And I'll give you an example of that right now. There was a big celebration last week that governor, the new governor of New York, announced increased funding for charter schools at 4.7 percent. But you want to know what was in that same budget? What else? Increase for traditional public schools of seven point one percent. Yeah, and I think so that's that's this week again. It's it's celebration, uh, but it's also motivation to keep going. I do know that you know you will be um, having a great conversation about how schools of choice are addressing you know uh, teachers this uh, coming up this week. Do you want to talk about your uh, upcoming event you're putting together? I do, and thank you for bringing it up. I hope that everyone in the audience will go to www.progressivepolicy.org and click on our events tab, and you will see there on January 27th, which is Thursday, at 3 o'clock, I am hosting a webinar, and it's going to be a really special webinar because, um, okay, I'm just going to tell you, Curtis, I got this idea that we always hear about 
teachers unions, right? And so it made me think, well, charter schools and innovation schools and private schools and magnet schools and all the schools, they're all full of teachers too. And what do these teachers think about teaching in a school of choice? And why did they choose to teach in a school of choice? I mean, let's be honest, if you're teaching in a school of choice, you probably don't have union protections. You probably don't have guaranteed pay increases. You probably don't have convoluted grievance procedures. What would prompt these teachers to go and teach in a school of choice? So I actually went out into the field, found a bunch of these teachers, sat them down, interviewed them, learned about their schools, learned about their passion for teaching, their vision for themselves as educators. And we then took that footage and edited it into a fabulous little video. So this webinar is going to be the world premiere, so to speak, of my video. And then we're going to have some of these teachers uh, live on the webinar for questions from the audience and to talk about their experience, about what's keeping their batteries charged during the pandemic and uh, what they've learned and how things are going in their schools of choice. And we also have a very special guest from the Mind Trust, which is a, a school incubator. It's a nonprofit that helps new schools of choice get up and running so that they're ready to provide a quality education project on day one. And finally, guess who else we nailed for the for the webinar, Curtis? Who else? Andrew Campanella, the president of National School Choice Week. Wow. Yeah. So he's going to be able to give us a, a big picture national view of, of what's been going on around the country this week with school choice. And then we'll have the very granular level with actual classroom teachers at the same time. So it should be a pretty compelling conversation and I hope people will uh, consider giving us an hour or so of their time to join in. I mean, the idea that, you know, you are partnering, we are partnering with uh, with School Choice Week uh, to really just be a, you know, um, a partner in, in this work. You know, not everyone is asked to do that. Um, and it's clear that they see our organization as, as a partner in this work. And, and it's not just, you know, school choice week. I think, you know, this is, this is one week out of the year, but the other 51, you know, we will continue to fight um, for the right of, of parents to make the best decisions uh, for their children, the same rights that so many other parents have in this country. But unfortunately those rights come from a certain privilege that the majority of parents just don't have. And so. While you're speaking of privilege, you were recently um, approach to form uh, some pretty important partnerships in a webinar series, which I believe the first one is can be found on our website. It's recorded now, but your live one is coming up week after next, the second part of that. Tell us about the partners. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to have, you know, we've, we, you know, as a, as a, as a project, we partnered with the 74 uh, to really, you know, bring, you know, to the, to the, to the country uh, conversations uh, information, motivation for those who are who, who want to get into the, this work and want to stay in this work and really have something to say uh, and have mission uh, a, a mission like, like like we do. And so, you know, a few weeks ago, we you know last week, <laughs> we actually you know uh, had a first part of a two part series um, in collaboration with the seventy four and Education Civil Rights Now on this. How do we ensure that? you know, uh, quality education is a right, and not simply access to education, uh, which is where we are uh, now. And so we're, you know, we're able to you know, elevate the voices of those who have been really out in the forefront um, in state capitals, uh, really trying to fight for 
you know, this constitutional right to a quality education. So, you know, our, our first part last week was, was uh, a great conversation. And we're looking forward to, to part two, you know, February 2nd. We will bring a part two, which will highlight those advocates, activists, and partners on the ground who are fighting in state capitals to really ensure that that right is given to parents, that quality is uh, is at the forefront of education. And it's a right. It's not a privilege in this country. It should be a right. And it will be the foundation for a lot of uh, states to provide the choices to, to parents and families uh, that they've been, been denied for so long. And so uh, in the event that the school they're attending is not um, providing a quality education that they are given other options, other choices than where they send their kids. So I'm, I'm really excited about next week's conversation. I'm excited about your conversation um, as well um, in partnership with, with School Choice Week. And it's just really excited in general about the future of this project and my opportunity to work so closely with you. I know we're doing a great job. We're we're coming from two really different backgrounds and really different places, but I feel like we're really in sync and I'm I'm really grateful for your support. Well, I think we probably are coming to the end of our time. Um, before we go, I'm making plans for um, School Choice Week 2023. Okay. What do you what do you want to do? I want to go see Niagara Falls all lit up in red and yellow. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if if we can make it a date, you know, I'll, I will we'll bring our families and 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 head up there. And I never, I've actually never been to Niagara Falls, but that would be a perfect reason to go. Yeah, let's put it on the calendar. All right, Curtis, thank you so much for co-hosting with me today. No, thank you, and thank you everyone listening into the uh, Radically Pragmatic podcast. You've been, uh, you know, listening to Curtis Valentine and Krista Pankovich, the co-directors of the Reinventing America Schools Project. Follow our work contribute to this conversation. Uh, we look so uh, forward to working with you. And again, happy School Choice Week. Happy School Choice Week, everybody. Thanks for listening. Want to learn more about the Progressive Policy Institute? Follow us on Twitter at PPI and on Facebook at Progressive Policy Institute, or go to our website at progressivepolicy.org. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen and check back for new episodes. We'll talk with you soon.